All right, it's Saturday, uh, September, um, September, Saturday, January 10th, 2015. Happy New Year, Pete Giuliano. Welcome to Solder Smoke 170. Is that the right number? That's the right number, 170. You got it. All right. Well, happy New Year to all of our listeners, our first program of the new year. And I think we've got a good one. Uh, you know, the, the new year always stirs up new thinking, also a a trip also helps, and, and Pete, if you don't mind, I'm going to give a little bit of travel log here because in the last pod- podcast, I uh, I talked about my upcoming de-expedition to the Dominican Republic. Is, do you mind if I give a few words? Oh about no, what I'm just I'm just envious. Oh, I know. It's on this cold morning. I'm envious of myself. I wish I was still down there. <laughs> <laughs> Self envy. Why did I come back? Anyway, yeah. as we as we announced last time, I, we I, we we took a uh, our Christmas trip. The uh, second half of December, we went down to the Dominican Republic, uh, a place that I lived in from 92 to 96. My wife is from there. We have so a lot of family connections. So we all went down, and, and uh, this time went to um, some re- a really picturesque and beautiful place. So we started out on the Samana Peninsula. If you look at the map of the DR, and I have one up on the blog, you'll see it's a peninsula that juts out from the, uh, the northeast part of the island. Um, spectacularly beautiful. We were on the extreme east northeastern tip of the peninsula, on a place in a place called Bahia Rincon, which is uh, Corner Bay. They call it. It looks like the, the an alligator with his jaws open, and we were on the bottom part of the jaw. I, as I mentioned last time, I wanted to bring some equipment with me, and uh, I wanted to bring homebrew gear. And inspired by Peter Parker VK3YE. I uh, brought a double sideband rig, the uh, the same little double sideband rig that I built in the Azores and have been working on kind of ad nauseum ever since. But uh, down we went, and Pete and I talked a little bit about what kind of power supply I should take. I, for a while, I thought I was going to bring solar panels, but I ended up going with just a, a packet of AA batteries. So it was a AA double sideband uh, QRP de-expedition to the Dominican Republic. With well, a dipole. Oh, the dipole. I forgot. You're right. The dipole. Dipole double A, <laughs> double sideband DRD expedition. A lot of D's in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, it was fun. I had a great time. We had this spectacular house overlooking the uh, the Bay of Rincon. And uh, I have pictures of it up on the blog. You should you should check it out. You really get picture, pictures. The picture is worth more than a thousand words in this case. And when, as when I first saw it, when we, we, we drove up the driveway... I looked at it, and the first thing I thought about was the House DX column in QST magazine. Remember that one, Pete? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Rod Newkirk, he, for years he regaled us with tales of you know, intrepid foreign radio amateurs and their ingenious homebrew rigs. And, you know, there was always Vlad from Vostok Base who was you know, transmitting with a, a rig that he had built from a discarded... Uh, you know, seismograph or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and all those great, you know, pictures of the Japanese radio amateurs with their homebrew rigs and all the radio amateurs from Eastern Europe. Oh man, it was the thing about the thing that really caused me to think about it was on the kind of the banner logo for the column that Rod Newkirk used. In the upper left they had this picture of like looked like a tropical island, a lot of palm trees, and there was this thatched roof radio shack next to it with open wire feeder going out to a dipole and when i saw where i was going to be spending the next week i said how's dx suddenly i'm living the dream pete living the dx dream i'm telling you and i've got homebrew gear and i've got double a batteries and i'm going to be on 20 meters so i went up they had this observation deck on the top on the roof of the house they had built because this bay is visited every winter by whales, so a lot of people come to look at the whales. Um, and I was going to use it as uh, my my tropical radio shack. So I set up the double sideband rig, and I got on 20 meters with my 10 AA batteries, and um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I made about 18 QSOs. I didn't, you know, I wasn't out there trying to make 10,000 contacts or, you know. <laughs> You know, help the uh, all those people who still need to work the Dominican Republic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, I just wanted to see what I could do with a very simple. I, I'll say, I guess I was putting out about four or five watts. I changed the the the, uh, the power amplifier in this thing before I went, so it had in it basically the IRF 510 and driver 
from the Bidex uh, transceiver. I like that, you know, I like Farhan's design for the RF amplifier there very much. So I went with that. It was very <coughs> stable. It didn't give me any trouble at all. Put out about four or five watts, but it's four or five watts, a double sideband. So <laughs> the poor fellows at the other end of the QSO in the United States were listening to about two, two and a half watts on the, the one sideband that they were listening to. I set up the dipole. I put it up in the thatched roof above the... Um, um, you know, right, right above where I was operating, and at first I wasn't talking to anybody. And you get, you get a sense after a while about whether you're getting out or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. Just, you, you, you sure kinda, do. You kind of know, and I just knew that I wasn't doing it. So I, I, I kind of fooled around a little bit, and I thought, wait a second, the dipole is probably putting all the radiation directly north. And I'm looking at my globe here, and if you look at you, directly north, just puts you mostly over the the North Atlantic Ocean. So I, I move the antenna I kind of spun it the dipole <laughs> you know it's wire so I just moved the pieces of gorilla tape that were holding it up and I oriented it so that one of the lobes would be up to the northwest which put it over the uh, over the United States and then right away I started making contacts it was really great I made about I made about 18 contacts I think maybe 20 depending on you know some of them were kind of marginal but I talked to, to people all over the US some of them were just kind of quick, and the guys were obviously not happy about working a weak signal. But, but many others were really uh, very, very intrigued by the whole thing, especially when I told them that my power supply was 10 AA batteries and uh, the double sideband and the homebrew and the tropical location and everything else. I took a video of the whole thing. That's up on the blog, and there's some pictures there that Elisa took of me when I was working this thing. There was a lot of... I, I put in the blog post, I, I really like this operation because of the rig that I bought, because it was a homebrew rig. And I realized as I was using it that there's a lot of soul in that little machine, to quote from Tracy Kidder's book title, Soul in the New Machine. There's a lot of soul in that old machine, Pete. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I built, it, I built it out in the Azores. Like I said, I modified it. I used it in Rome. I used it in the UK. I took it on a trip to, to France. This thing's been around with me. Not only that, the microphone that I was using was from an old Sony Walkman. I mean, you talk about throwback technology. The headphones I was using were earbuds from my my um, iPhone five. <laughs> so you got a real mix. You got every you got bits and pieces in there from from the Sony Walkman. The headphones from the iPhone five. The rig is built around any six hundred two chips, which you know come from early days of of, of cell phones. And it's got, of course, Farhan's uh, out of India, uh, Bidex power amplifier. So, man, I had a I had a great time with it. It was really, really fantastic. You know, looking back, I think maybe 17 meters probably would have been a bit better. I mean, 20 was fine, but I don't know. 20 is a little bit less kind of friendly and laid back than 17. Um, also, there's a lot of nets on 20 meters. 20 meters, especially the part of the band where I was operating from I was using the ceramic resonator um, uh, as a variable ceramic resonator like a VCO um, not a voltage controlled oscillator but a variable ceramic oscillator I called it I wrote it up for for Sprat a while back but um, it only gave me coverage of a portion of the 20 meter phone band and there were a lot of nets there so there was the you know the intercon net and the maritime mobile net and the all these other nets. Now, some of that was good because if I would check in and I would tell them what was going on, some of the guys were kind enough to ask if anybody else could could hear me, and then I'd very quickly work, you know, two, three stations. So that was fun. But I think 17 meters would be better, and and I think, you know, I also came to realize the benefits of single sideband. A lot of times I was listening to uh, to noise on the other side of of zero beats. So I think next time it'll be. Uh, It'll be single sideband. We'll we'll move on. And Pete, the amazing thing was I got this whole contraption through the TSA people at the airport. I, I thought, <laughs> wow. for, I mean, I, I I thought for sure I was going to be face down there on the uh, <laughs> on the floor. When yeah, they, and they'd when be they, probing you all over <laughs> when they took one look at that thing. But I just told them, I said, it's a radio, and they kind of shrugged and they said, okay, and off it went. So I didn't have any trouble with that, and I got the whole thing down there. But <clears throat> yeah, so next time maybe uh, maybe seventeen. Next time maybe single sideband. Oh, and the the rooftop thing. I took the dimensions, Ooh. and Ooh. I'm I'm gonna. <clears throat> it's perfect for a kind of a fixed seventeen meter moxon. So next time I go down, we're going to go back to the same place next year 
I'm going to bring a 17-meter Moxon in the bag with me, and we'll we'll set that up. And man, I'll be I'll be blasting in. I'll be I'll be rocking the East Coast from the Samana oh, yeah. Peninsula. <laughs> oh oh yeah, you you know that's the uh, that's the thing, uh, Bill, with the with the beam and uh, and working sideband. Uh, you know that that couple of watts uh, that you're you're wasting on double sideband. You put that into uh, a single sideband signal, four watts, uh, single sideband on 17 meters. Uh, you'll work the world. Oh, I know, I know, I know from experience from my my yeah. bid, my bidx thing. Yeah. Here. So, 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 so stay tuned, everybody. So this time next year, you'll be you'll be hearing a powerful signal emitting from <laughs> from Bahia Rincon in Samana. We also did a little bit of astronomy there. I brought my Soviet, not Russian, but Soviet binoculars with me that uh, that I bought a long time ago. We had very dark skies. One of my New Year's resolutions is to do more astronomy, and I started a little early. We could see the top tip, just the top tip of the Southern Cross, because from 19 degrees north, if you look south at the right time, you could see the, the Southern Cross, and I could just see the top tips of it peeking up above the, the kind of the mountainous horizon <coughs> there. We, um, we flew back via Panama for some reason. The airlines routed us through Panama, so we got to spend a few hours there just at the Panama airport, but as we flew through, we could see the canal, got a real nice view from the airplane of the, of the canal and, uh, and Panama City, so I was, I was reminiscing about uh, days in, in, the, in that country. It was really kind of interesting. But anyway, enough of the travelogue, Pete. It was a great trip, and uh, man, uh, tropical, tropical weather. I, I recommend it. I know that even in California, you're freezing this morning, right? Yeah, and matter, and rain and rain. And, and you know, it's it's just not right. It, it's so cold that Pete has his beret on. <laughs> yeah, I keep my head warm. Yeah, I told him. I but told, I, I'm going to fix that problem. I, I told, I'll, I, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I'm yeah, going to fix that problem. But he, he asked. <clears> he asked me. We have the video turned off, so I can't see him. But he told me he was going to wear the beret, and he asked if that was okay. And I said, Yeah, but you you know you you really can't you can't you can't bring any of the the folks that you're meeting by wearing that beret, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the chick magnet. <laughs> it's a chick magnet. <laughs> All right. So, hey, listen, back to radio, Dr. Giuliano. What's on the bench? What are you working on? Well, well, uh, you know, in- interestingly enough, the situation with the garage being cold in the wintertime because it's uninsulated, that's a pretty typical California construction arc. It's been a lot of money to insulate the garage. Oh, and in the summer, it's uh, it's like a cooker oven in here, so uh, not not too good. So I said, okay, how am I going to fix that problem? And uh, one of the things on the bench right now is uh, I have a Tentec uh, Omni Six Plus, and it turns out, uh, even though that radio is like 20 years old, uh, it did have uh, the capability to op- being operated remotely. So I said, you know. The answer is <laughs> leave the radio in the garage and operate it from somewhere else. And uh, I just uh, was successful in setting up a little uh, a little remote operation here in my home with uh, with the the main station now can shift to my office, which is inside the house. And uh, you know, uh, at first I kind of shied away from that bill because I thought, boy, this is going to be complex. But uh, I was surprised how really simple it is. There. There's some really excellent remote programs uh, available, and it doesn't take much in the way of hardware. I happen to have a, uh, well, I actually have two computers here in the garage. Uh, everybody needs two computers in their garage. One, and, and the one I'm using right now is uh, operates a CNC machine, but I also have it set up for, for Skype. And then I have another smaller computer that's, uh, it's, actually it's an Intel Atom sitting right next to the, uh, to the radio gear. So, so you need a little computer and a small little interface, uh, serial interface to go from the computer to the uh, to the transceiver, and that consists. That's a homebrew interface, three transistors. So two of them uh, deal with uh, converting the signals out of the computer uh, in a serial stream to the radio, and the third transistor keys the push to talk. And uh, I had my first QSO on it. Uh, took took a little while to set up the. Uh, uh, the, the levels, you know, the receive level and the transmit level. And by the way, that's done uh, outside of that link uh, with Skype. So, I, and I did have a QSO with it, and I said, okay, how, how bad is it sounding? And and the guy said, doesn't sound bad at all, you know, so uh, uh, a real opportunity. So maybe that's another thing for you. If, uh, if you can find some way to turn on your station 
uh, back in Virginia. Uh, next time you go down there, you can uh, you, you can operate the home station over the internet. I, 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 I'm I could, just amazing. I could I could talk to myself. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. But but the thing is, is the capability is there, and uh, uh, the the only expense I had, I you know, the transistor now there were pennies, but uh, uh, I did have to buy the software program, and I got that from uh, N4PY Carl Moreshi, and he uh, he's done a lot of work with uh, Tentech radios, and so um, uh, since I have the Tentech, I got the software from him. But uh, as it turns out, uh, Tentech. Um, wrote their interface program so that it's compatible with what the with at the time the icom ic735 so um you know if you can get the get your hands on the icom software you know you can operate the 10 tech radio so that's that's kind of neat and uh you, more and more people as a matter of fact uh, i think pp i gotta say i think you know <coughs> icom software is a tough enough thing for me but icom software here i think I think they would just create it. Would create some sort of black holes in the yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know what really pushed me over the edge was, of course, this uh, the cold garage and the warm garage. But uh, uh, oh, about two weeks ago, I was listening to the QSO. This guy was sitting by his pool with his iPhone, and he's working DX. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm no, saying, no, wait I, a minute. I, 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 I think I told you before. I I, uh, I was talk I worked a guy in Alaska on 17 meters. And uh, he was operating a remote, and he was actually sitting about two miles from me, right here in Fairfax County. So, uh, but the, the transmitter was up in Alaska. Yeah, uh, and and that's that's just where there's so many technology now. Why you're, gonna, you know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna be sitting? I know within a, within a little while we're gonna be talking to you, and you're gonna be sitting with that beret in some Starbucks with a with your your iPad there, and just you know casually. Working the world from uh, oh yeah with a, with a cafe latte there and everything else yeah it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be luxurious it's gonna be great yeah. absolutely well the thing is uh, I'm I'm looking a little further downstream and uh, of course uh, I've now taken up an interest in the the Arduino and uh, to me uh, you know you can hook the Arduino up to the serial port on a computer so I said okay if you can do this with with a commercial radio why can't you do it with a homebrew radio. Yeah. So there may there may be that that's where we may be headed. So there was a little method to my madness: one to keep warm or to keep cool, depending on the time of year, and the other is uh, what is the potential of uh, hooking this to uh, an Arduino. I did ask, uh, I did email Carl and ask him. He said, "Well, if you can do certain things, uh, no reason why it shouldn't work. So why not? It's there." Yeah, fantastic. All right. So what what else is going on? What's, oh, okay. What's, now what's on the bench. Okay, on the bench uh, is doing a lot more work with the Arduino uh, Nano and uh, also a, a new display. <coughs> and uh, this new display, and I sent you a little video of that, is the Nokia 5110. And oh, I, I love that thing. Oh, this is, a, this is a display that's maybe, I think it's 1.8 inches by 1.8 inches, and it's known as an 80, 84 by 48. So you have 84 by 48 spaces that you can... Uh, you can address, and the other thing is it has a graphics capability. So uh, I, I got some uh, real able assistance from Dwayne KB4QB, who uh, who actually uh, mated this little display up with the SI5351 so that you had a frequency display, which is kind of cool. And then I, I took what he had as a seed software and, and added some things to it. So I could add my call sign and I could put the mode of operation so as you change from upper sideband to lower sideband, the display will change. And then with the graphics capability, I put an S meter <laughs> at the bottom the of luxury. the display. The luxury. Yeah, a luxury. Holy cow, I don't have an S meter. I want an S meter. I'm having yeah, to make up so, these numbers. I'm telling you, yeah, you're... Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, in the Arduino, uh, you're reading one of the analog ports, so you can, you can, you're going to have to do a little uh, massaging of the AGC voltage, but uh, to get it within the right range so it'll feed the Arduino, uh, the analog inputs don't like to see anything more than about 5 volts. But with a little math manipulation, uh, the, the AGC I have at uh, 8 volts, so then I have to scale it down to five, and then you have to do a math manipulation because it's a reverse AGC. So as as you're adding AGC, the voltage drops from eight to seven to six. So you you can just do some math there so that it reads the other direction, so that you see the the bar increase. But it's all a little little board, and as a matter of fact, uh, in that same Arduino, um, I added a uh, a tone oscillator, 
so that when you push a button, uh, the display says you're tuning it, and it produces a 988 uh, hertz pulse tone that you can feed into the mic, and so you got the beep, 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 beep type thing, so you can tune up uh, an antenna tuner or an amplifier, and uh, it's on for about 10 seconds, and of course you have control of the duration of that, and, and then I had a little problem, was once you put tune on the screen, it stayed there, so I said, okay, how do I get rid of this, and so I thought I was being really clever. I said, okay, at the end of the 10, 10 seconds, I want you to paint the screen with, with the tune. Same word, same location, only don't paint it in black letters, paint it in white letters. And it makes it disappear. So I, I thought, this is really, hey, I've really advanced the technology. And, of course, uh, my local ham friend here, Ben, KK6FUT, I was telling him about it. He said, Pete. We do that all the time in the digital world. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just getting caught up here, you know. Don't you so believe, I, don't believe him, Pete. You might have had a breakthrough here, man. Yeah, yeah you know. You could be a so zillionaire thing, with this thing, I'm yeah, telling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing is, uh, and, and you know, the, the nano board and, and the SI5351 um, um, from Adafruit, if you add up the cost, I paid uh, $8 for the uh, SI5351. I paid uh, I think a little more than six dollars for the nano I got one of these bargain ones and uh, the Nokia display was about four bucks so less than twenty dollars I, I have complete frequency generation that will generate an LO and generate uh, a BFO signal and it's selectable I can select either upper or lower or sideband it'll generate the frequencies and I got a frequency display with an S meter so this technology is moving us along, and what's more critical, Bill, is panel space. Uh, you know, when I heard you talk about um, taking a rig down to uh, Dominican Republic, immediately went flashed through my mind is the uh, the project I had written up in uh, QRP Quarterly called the Shirt Pocket Transceiver. Love and that. so I have two two versions of the transceiver. One is uh, uh, one is a large version, which is uh, approximately two by three by five or some, or three by four by five, and the other one is uh, is two by two by four. But the problem was, you can I could have shrunk that down even further using surface mount, but the the critical on the critical path was the front panel space. You have to have enough space to put the controls. I mean, this is what dictated kind of the final size, and in many of these projects. Um, you know, having a big old panel meter and an S meter and a digital display takes eats up a huge amount of real estate. But with this Nokia display, 1.8 by 1.8 inches, you've got everything right there at your fingertips. And, and you know, it's uh, backlit, and you can uh, adjust the uh, the contrast. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Duane has got a little further refinement of this, uh, that after five seconds, the display goes dim. So this way, if you're operating on your 10 uh, eight, you know, double A cells. Uh, you're you're conserving power because you're not wasting power on the display. So uh, kind of amazing. And I think uh, uh, the SI5351 has a lot of possibilities. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, I note here uh, you you got an input from Farhan about uh, Han Summers G zero UPL. He he's now got a board uh, that that's coming out as a kit. And uh, the kit is slightly less than the cost of the Adafruit. So I mean, these prices are really get. Wait till wait till someone starts making these in China, <laughs> and it's three dollars. You know, it's three dollars <laughs> free shipping. <laughs> uh, you got to wait six weeks to get it. But I mean, this is where it's headed. And and as more and more people start to use it, I think the issues of phase noise and what have you uh, kind of go away. And that was another thing that was on the bench was that. Uh, uh, one of the, the experts uh, said, well, you know, if you can if you can generate the frequency at four times, e even though the noise specs at, at the higher frequency generation are worse than the lower frequency, if you divide it by four, the overall noise is less. Yeah. And, and I can see that. I mean, if there's a slight increase, you go from, say, generating something at 16 megahertz versus 64, and it's worse at 64, but if you then down divide the frequency by four, it's less than at 16. Yeah. So, um, so it's kind of interesting. And I did on the bench. I was able to do that. So, and I had to do something with the uh, with the software. So, as you incremented, <laughs> it wasn't being incremented uh, uh, four times. So, then, but, but, you know, wait, but for the phase noise, let me let me mention something about phasing. Okay. Because it, I really this is something that really captured my attention. You know, you talk about noodling. 
when we were traveling, there was a lot of long airplane rides, not too long, but airplane rides, there were a lot of drives. I wasn't driving, so I could be sitting there noodling in my head. I was noodling in my head, Pete. <laughs> and what I wanted to do is I was, I, I, for a long time, I sort of wanted to get my head around and get to understand the, the receiver portion of SDR radios and the use of phasing direct conversion receivers in these radios. You know, I've fooled around with taking an ordinary direct conversion radio and just plugging it into the sound card and getting the display and the panoramic display. You could use FL Digi. Peter Parker's recently doing some of this stuff in Australia with really simple kind of just phasing, phasing, I mean, um, direct conversion receiver without phasing and sending it into the sound card. But I started reading up the articles. I started reading Rick Campbell's article on the phasing direct conversion receiver and why the ability to knock down the other sideband, the other half, you know, the image, it takes care of the image problem, but you, then you do it as a direct conversion receiver and you do it right there at the operating frequency. And this, in, in essence, gives you just, you know, not single, well, the, the potential for single signal reception with no image frequencies coming in on top of the desired signal. And then, so then you get back to a, a really familiar technology for me, an old technology, the phasing technique. How you used phasing to knock down that other sideband, it's the same principle that, that's used in my HT37, which is sitting here right next to me. Yep. And, it, and it's, it's, a, it's an old 1950s technology that's very useful now. And then so you, you just, that, and then, and here's, the, here's where the DDS chip, like, the, the DDS, the, was it the 9850 we're using? Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. That generates the signal, I mean, because it, it, it'll generate quadrature. You know, it'll generate two signals at the same frequency, but 90 degrees out of phase. And you feed that into the two product detectors of a phasing receiver. Then you have the output that's at quadrature, and then the computer will do the audio phase shift. And then you run FL Digi and then boop up on the screen. So, I mean, you could you could do this when you look at at Rick Campbell's designs for the R2. His oscillators are LC oscillators, standard old LC oscillators. But when you think about it, nowadays you're really kind of nuts to do it that way because with the 9850 or any other kind of DDS or an SI570 or anything like that, you could cover you know basically from DC to daylight. And with a nice frequency display, and that that little short, that little direct conversion receiver feeding into the computer stereo sound card, gives you really tremendous receive capability. And, oh yeah! And that and that that's that digital, you know, whether it's a phase lock loop or or DDS, I mean, you just really can't come up with that stability and that frequency coverage with anything other than the the chips that we're talking about. As yeah. much as it pains me to say that, Pete Giuliano. <laughs> Dollar thirty-five. Dollar oh, thirty-five. Oh. Well, well, I, I, when I was starting off about the phase noise, because this, I, I sort of bristle a bit that uh, people throw stones at this without maybe thinking a little bit about it. Now, one one chap, uh, I think he's a nine B one on one of the reflectors, said, "You know, if you actually um, multiplied the frequency by four, uh, the the phase noise uh, is is a little worse than at the standard frequency. However, if you divide it by four, the overall becomes less. In other words, if you if you had a situation where at uh, 14 megahertz the signal had such and such a phase noise, at 56 megahertz it's slightly worse. Well, if you generated it at 56 and divide that by four, it's less than what you would normally get generating at a 14 megahertz. So one of the things I did with uh, what uh, Dwayne Kafee or QB shared with me is I took that and I generated the frequency at four times. And then I had to do something with the program so when you increment and decrement the frequency with the encoder, uh, <laughs> it's going to be, you also have to account for the four. So anyway, if the frequency coming out, if I'm trying to operate... Um, on 40 meters, because I have a 9 megahertz IF, the LO would be at 16 megahertz. So I generated the frequency at 64, 
and then took a simple D flip-flop and divided it by 4, so it comes out at 16. So I got less noise than what I would have generated at 16, but you get a quadrature output. So the display accounts for uh, the fact that it's on 40 meters and the frequency is right on, but the out of the D flip-flop, it's coming out of 16, but going in at 64. But the idea is you got those two quadrature signals now. Yeah. So you could be driving, you know, if you did the math, whatever it is you want to come out with, you can have the accurate frequency display, direct conversion phasing receiver, and just out of a simple D flip-flop. And by, by the way, I found that some of these D flip-flops are good up to 300 megahertz. <laughs> so, and, and, they, and they cost 56 cents. So, I mean, you know, and the SI uh, 5351 has an upper frequency limit of 160 megahertz. If you divide that by four, that says 40 megahertz, you'd come out, you cover all the HF handbands. Oh, man. So, so I mean, there's, it, it's a bit, and that was software. I mean, there was, there was software in one chip, yeah. <laughs> one D flip-flop on the output of that. So, I mean, there's some amazing things that can be done. You just need to think your way through it. It took me a little, a little while to get it to, so all the frequency reads correct. But I have that operating on the bench right now on a radio. Oh, beautiful. You know, and I think this this gets to something that we talked about last time. Sometimes you have to be willing to just give it a try. And yeah. You have, you have to be aware also that, you know, the perfect can be the enemy of the good or the good enough. When you think about some of the components that we're regularly using in our HF rigs now, at one point, lots of people came out and said, no, you shouldn't use this rig because of one characteristic. For example, the IRF 510 MOSFET designed for use in power supplies, but now we're using them as a amplifiers. But there's a lot of people who come out and say, oh, you shouldn't use it because of this characteristic, because of the input capacitance and, and all that. But still, if you, you just take into consideration its, its characteristics and its limitations, it's a fantastic amplifier. That was the amplifier that I had in my rig down there in the Dominican Republic. I wanted to mention that. It's a, basically the, the amplifier chain from the Bidex went, went down on that rig. Another component, like the NA602, you'll hear people talking about the talking bad about the NA602 because of its uh, its intermodulation distortion characteristics. But it's still great. It's good enough. It's terrific, and it's used in in all kinds of rigs. It's in the it's in the Ellicraft rigs. It's you know it, it's 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 very widely used. You know, it might not be perfect, but that doesn't mean you can't you can't use it. And so I think you're seeing the same thing with the uh, the SI5351. And I'm really glad that Hans has come out. We got a message from Farhan on this, and I think that I think that'll kind of encourage people to take a real hard look at this. And and you know, it's it's good to hear the input from from the folks who've got questions about it. But the the real question is whether it's it's good enough yeah. for for use. And I think you're you're demonstrating that it definitely is. Yeah, I I think you you know. 200 meters and down, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's that thing. And that's where I think hams uh, have, have really, you know, done some amazing things. Like, here's a, here's a sidebar story. Uh, you know, we use printed circuit boards today. And, and it's totally, uh, that's just the way things are done. Or you build a project and you publish an article. And the first thing I get uh, emails about, where's the board? You know, where do I get a board? <laughs> well, you got to make it. But yeah. Are you aware where printed circuit boards first started? And it was a ham. It's during World War II. They were building these proximity fuses. Uh, and they had little radio transmitters and receivers in them. And a ham, a ham working on this says, why don't we do printed circuit boards? <laughs> so it was invented by a ham. And he go. was probably thinking about, geez, how can I compact this circuit? And he was building something in his garage, you know. Uh, and got carried over into his work. So I, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, when you're unfettered by saying, well, that'll never work there, you know, printed circuit boards in there and bomb and explodes. Hey, it's going to get blown up. Don't worry <laughs> about it, <laughs> you know. But, but I think the thing is, is that there's some amazing work. And, I, I, you know, Hans has really done a lot for this hobby. I, you, you see a lot of publications, and I've had exchanged some emails with him in the past, and he's, he's always kind of on the forefront of this stuff. And, and I think that uh, now making this kit available, and, and it costs slightly less than, than the Ada Fruit Board, but it may be available in Europe, which may make it a little bit less cost. I'm not sure because of shipping and, and everything else. But, uh, you know, now there's others that are coming out with boards, so uh, why not? Why not use it? 
And uh, I, I think we're really fortunate to have uh, a kind of a proliferation. And I, I would sort of think, uh, based on that message that you shared with me this morning, that now uh, a lot of the BIDX guys are going to start looking at the 5351, and, and all sorts of things are going to happen. I think it's going to be fantastic. Three cheers for the 5351. Yeah, if yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 Pete, now I think when you mentioned, you mentioned of the postal situation, <laughs> made, me, yeah. made me think that we need to shift completely to the opposite end of the technology spectrum in terms yep. of frequency generation. Yep. Because, you know, that's one of the things that we've been doing here on the show. We've been operating at both ends, at the, at the, at the kind of the cutting edge with the 5351, and at the the really not cutting at all edge, <laughs> and I refer to here to the uh, the Michigan Mighty Might project. Wow, been having some fun, but it's different. It's completely different. How many components? Seven. Seven well, components. Well, eight eight if you include the key click filter. Yes, and then a few more if you go for the the low pass filter. Right. But but basically at its core, seven components. We've had a lot of fun with this thing. I uh, I counted up. I think we sent out forty of these crystals. I mean, I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I mean, I'm down. <laughs> I'm down to these little tiny crystals that have thirty-five, seventy-nine marked on them. I do have a few more left, guys. Guys have. There's a few guys who've written in recently saying, "I hope you have some left." I'll send out all that I have. There's probably about eight or ten left. So if you've asked for one, like in the last week or so. I haven't gotten back to you just because I'm still recovering from the trip, but I'll I'll try to try to get one out to you. But we sent out about 40 of these things, and and you know I'm really pleased because so far, I think we've got what 10 or 15 of these things built that we know about. People who've sent oh, in pictures. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, as a matter of fact, I, I sent out two, so that's yeah, 42. 42. So that's and and but and I think uh, we have at least you know 15 or so of these things built. Probably more that we haven't heard about. But we've seen them built in all kinds of different configurations and, oh, yeah. and all kinds of different cases, all kinds of different levels of complexity and simplicity, but uh, in terms of the, the physical setup. But it's really fun working with people over the email to get the thing working. Some guys ha are, are a little bit more advanced and they have no trouble putting this thing together and getting it going. And they, they send us a picture and a video and it's, it's oscillating nicely. Other guys have never really built anything, and they have some, you know, they, they need a little bit of coaching. And then there's another set of guys who have built stuff for digital projects and are trying to make the shift from <laughs> digital to analog. And, you know, Peter, he's chuckling over there. but um, it, Because some of the things that you could do with ones and zeros, you know, you could have a lot of, le a lot of lines going all over the place, a lot of kind of wire wrap and a lot of just like kind of breadboard and the wires. It doesn't matter because it's all just ones and zeros. Whereas if, if you try to pull that stuff in RF, it's just, it's not going to do it. So um, I was really pleased this morning. We got, a, we got an email from Jacob in California who lives fairly close to Pete. And he's been, he had been struggling for a while with, the, 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 with his Michigan Mighty Might. And he had success this morning. It was really. Oh, he really, did. You didn't see it? No, oh, no. I thought you saw it. Oh, no, man, you huh? gotta see it. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. Um, this is a, a, a story of. This is the trials and tribulations of analog RF home brewing. It's not easy, folks. It's not easy. Uh, there's there's a lot of kind of. Uh, uh, you just there's a lot of kind of craft involved in this thing and things that you have to be wary wary about and wor that you have to be aware of. But anyway, uh, Jacob's project had an additional level of difficulty thrown in by the United States Postal Service, which I'm not at all happy about. You know, when I was sending out these 40 crystals, you know, I, I was doing it at lunch hour at work and I didn't have a lot of time. And sometimes I said, "Oh man, I got to get these things out." So I ended up with a bunch of them. I just stuffed them in little envelopes slapped a first-class stamp on them, threw it in the mailbox, and hoped for the best. And sometimes it was okay, but in a seemingly random way, I think the United States Postal Service, we've discovered, has somewhere in the system a steamroller, yeah. which purpose seems to be to crush 3.579 megahertz crystals. I mean, it really crushes them. It's not like they ran, you know, like a scanner over or something. Holy cow, they're really crushing this stuff. And I, I don't understand the purpose of it. But 
a number of the crystals, a number of the 40 that we sent out, ended up pretty squished and smushed. Some of them worked in spite of being, in spite of having the case crushed a little bit. But I think Jacob's was the, the worst example that we had. His, when I looked at the picture he sent, man, it looked really bad. We, we actually tested it electrically and, and the, it didn't seem like the, either of the leads was shorted. And it seemed like the capacitance was about right, but I think that, that the steamroller actually shattered the crystal in there. And so he wasn't getting any kind of oscillation. So, so Pete jumped in and sent him another crystal and some additional parts. And it's really cool because when you watch Jacob's progress, in the beginning he was building this thing sort of breadboard style as you would with a digital project. But by the end, when you look at the pictures, and I put them up on the blog this morning, he has got the most kind of RF style construction. It's, it's really kind of ugly point to point, but, but short leads, tight and everything else. And, and he got it working. It's, it's oscillating. Wow, that's terrific. No, cool. it, it's really, really great. And we, I, I was really pleased to see that this morning. I'm sorry, I thought you already saw it. But then, no. And then we have, you know, people have built this thing from, you know, we've got, we, got, we got a report from Ireland. We've got, you know, people in the UK building them. Uh, all the way out to Hawaii, all over the United States, and we're putting pictures of all of them up on the uh, on the Solder Smoke uh, blog. So, if you finish yours, uh, send us a picture, send us a video. We'll put it up there. But this is all part of the Color Burst Liberation Army, the CBLA. Yeah, there you go. Yes, the power I, I, of the crystal. I did, I did want to mention uh, Chuck Carpenter, W5USJ. He built the Michigan Mighty Might, and and he sent and you have it up on the blog. Uh, a link. If you go to a link to his site, he's got uh, the low-pass filter uh, components in there, which is worth looking at. And um, he also built his, it looks like it's on a, a blank that would fit in an Altoids tin, although I, I don't think it fit because he's got the big variable capacitor, but really elegant construction. Take take a good hard look to the link on the, on the blog to uh, Chuck Carpenter and, and the way he built that thing. Uh, he used the, kind of the me pads. Uh, sort of thing, really, really kind of slick, and it it's very elegant looking. I mean, you, <laughs> I threw mine together in 30 minutes, and and most of that time was was cutting the sheet metal, <laughs> you know. But but this this took a little more than 30 minutes, believe me. But it's really nice looking, and there's several others. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Chris EI6KH, uh, he sent you a, a nice photo, and it looked like he took a a, a plastic lid. And yeah. turned that upside down. Is yeah, that, yeah, is that, yeah. I that saw was, that. We put that on the blog too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah it was a plastic really lid, nice. and, and and it built it up, and it looks like it's on a, it's like on a platform. I mean, really cool. And then one fella did something that was really cool. He built, you know, we a lot oh, of guys have been yeah. using pill bottles, right? Yeah, yeah. He used the pill bottle as the coil form, but he actually used the pill bottle for the coil form and also for a case for the circuit itself. So it ended up that the uh, that the, the whole Michigan Mighty Might was built into these two pill bottles, and he told us that he intended to suspend this thing sort of as the center insulator of the antenna, and then just run power down and a keying circuit down so he could key it from the shack, but the the transmitter circuitry actually would be serving as the center insulator on the dipole, which yeah. I thought was really really cool. Yeah, you you know I would I would I'd make one modification to that if if I would do it that way. What's that? I, I put a single turn loop on, on the tank with an LED. So you so can see it flash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so you can see there it flashing away. Yeah, there, in the middle of the cool. night you got this winking light. Yeah. Well, this reminded me. I mentioned it to you. One of the, even even cooler than that. It reminded me of something that was going on when we were fooling around with QRSS a few years back. There was a guy in Italy. QRSS is really low-speed um, CW transmitter. Actually, it's just a beacon transmitter that's s transmitting a pattern at very, very low speed, so it can be detected with very, very, very narrow filters. And you have these stations around the world called grabbers. So you build this thing and you just leave it on. I built one that generated a sawtooth pattern based on Hans Summers circuitry, by the way. Yeah, right. Um, I still have it here. But there was a guy in Italy, a young fellow in Italy, figured out how to build this thing. And he too used it as used the transmitter as the center insulator for his uh, 30 meter antenna, 
but he went one step further and on the outside of the transmitter he slapped two solar panels so it was completely self-contained so if you looked at his dipole it would be a dipole with in center conductor but with no leads of any kind coming down because everything is contained in the center <laughs> insulator that was really pretty cool we have some pictures of that up on the blog somewhere but i i thought that that was neat but hey you mentioned low pass filters and that of course you know the real objective in the whole michigan mighty might project here was just to let people who haven't done a lot of rf home brewing experience what we call the joy of oscillation i mean there's nothing salacious about this we're talking about electronic oscillation here okay? right there you go getting getting this rf generator to, to generate a radio signal and once you've done that you've pretty much built a transmitter and you could say to yourself and to your friends and relatives i have built a radio transmitter i have entered the 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 ranks of the the esteemed home brewers welcome to the club um and you know putting it on the air and making a contact that would be icing on the cake now we got a we got a video this week from steve wg0at the goat guy with yeah. peanut and the other goat and he did a wonderful video of his uh, straight key night experiences and one of the stations that he worked on straight key night was nick kennedy WA5BDU, who was using his Michigan Mighty Might. And we have that on the video. You can see that. Other people have written in it, and they've actually made contacts with the Michigan Mighty Might, which I think is really great. But again, that's icing on the cake. The real objective was to get these things oscillating, and that's what almost everybody who's tried has been able to do. But if you are going to put it on the air, you, probably, you really do need a low-pass filter because it generates harmonics, and you need the low-pass filter to knock it down. So You'll see on the website, on the blog, all kinds of information about people who are developing low-pass filters. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just a handful of components. You put it between the antenna and the, the transmitter, and you, you, you transmit a clean signal, and you're not interfering with somebody on, on one of the higher bands. So definitely you need, you need to do that. And uh, Steve Smith out there in California, I know, will be very pleased to hear us uh, talking about this requirement. Steve's rightly concerned about... Uh, spectral purity and compliance with uh, federal regulation. So right. there we go. You, you know, as you were mentioning about the, the, the whole idea of building this thing just to gain some experience, uh, I, I haven't seen the email from Jacob, but I will bet today <laughs> he can look back at this and said, wow, what did I learn from all this? Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's got to be an indelible mark on everything he's going to do in the future. He'll always think back to this. So that's a really great first step. No, it is, and it, but it, it's also a lesson for all of us because at one point we got a message from Jacob saying that, and you could just feel the frustration in the email. He said, I am tremendously frustrated with this because I think I've done everything right and it's still not working. And I just, you and I both kind of laughed. We said, yeah, that's just the way it is. You know, <laughs> yeah. Farhan, just, just, we were joking around about this. Farhan, I, I saw recently updated a photo on his Facebook page. And he had this kind of haunted kind of <laughs> look at his face. And friends were commenting about what, this, what was causing him to look this way. And I wrote, I said, that's the look on the face of a radio amateur who can't get the circuit to work the way it's supposed to. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He came back and he said, you're exactly right. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, we've all been there. Um, the other thing, I was looking, Todd Gale, um, VE3BPO, uh, the guy with uh, the QRP Homebrewer uh, website that we all love so much. It's back. It's back in blog form. And I was looking through t one of Todd's recent articles about crystal filters. And he said, he, he made note, he said, you know, he, he just said as an aside, he said, you have to realize that sometimes ours is a very difficult and frustrating hobby. And you just have to be prepared kind of to deal with the frustrations and just persist. But persist wisely. Sometimes it it pays to take a break, go back to yeah. it after a day or two, consult with friends, look in the books, take a breather, take a, walk the dog or something, and then come back and, and fix it. But uh, I'm glad Jacob worked, worked his way through and his experience. He, he, they, that, that, the, one of the lines, and I put it on the blog article, one of the lines in his emails, he said, gentlemen, we have oscillation. <laughs> hey, hey, while you're saying about taking a break, don't forget about SCD. SCD. Shameless Commerce Division. Oh, the Shameless Commerce Division. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
All right, listen, um, the book, the books are, are available. We have them now on, uh, on Amazon Kindle, on Amazon in print form, from, from Lulu. You can buy it from uh, in Nook. You can buy it from the iPhone. All these different platforms, the books are available. Solder Smoke, the book, people, people are still buying it and liking it and finding it useful. It's got, uh, it's got some travelogue. It's got some technical memoir, but I think the part that might be most useful to people is the parts of the book where we talk about how to understand the various kinds of circuits that we're discussing. For example, we just mentioned the, uh, the phasing method of sideband generation or sideband suppression, the phasing method that's used in the HT37 or that's being used in modern SDR receivers and, uh, and phasing direct conversion receivers like the R2. You know, I... I struggled with this as a kid. I didn't. I wanted to know how that HT37 worked, and I struggled to understand how phasing arrangements made one of the sidebands disappear without any crystal filters. And it took me a long time, but I finally figured it out. So I, I have like a chapter in there about how to understand this stuff. So you might like that. Also, the Us and Them book. You know, that's more, much more travelogue and almost no radio, but it is about sort of the. Well, it's about the 10 years that we spent uh, in Europe and, uh, and what it was like to, to take your family overseas and stay there for 10 years in three different countries and come back. So anyway, thank you for reminding me of the Shameless Commerce Division, Pete. <laughs> you and were saying, take eight. a break, take a break, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But wait, now, now we've got to go back. But this, also, this reminds me of something else I wanted to mention. And there's no commerce involved in here at all because in this particular thing, it's, it's a service being provided to the radio uh, community. I'm talking about uh, Steve Silverman, KB3SII. He sent us an email a week or so ago with a very, very kind offer. He said, look, a lot of these guys who are building or who want to build a Michigan Mighty Might will have trouble not only getting the crystal, but with getting the variable capacitor in the tank circuit. And Steve is absolutely right. These things can be hard to come by Steve because of a previous project that he was working on has a pretty good stockpile of exactly the kind of Orrin Elliott variable capacitors 400 picofarad that will do just perfectly in this circuit so he's very kindly said he'll make them available I think at cost or, and with as long as you cover the shipping fees but we think that we were talking about this and how best to publicize it. And I think it would be wise to do it this way because we don't want people just to s sort of think, see this as an opportunity to stock their junk box because I, I, I know that, <laughs> I know the feeling, right? I'd be tempted. Here's the deal. If you send Steve a picture of the Michigan Mighty Might that you have built absent the, the, the variable capacitor. In other words, if the variable capacitor is the thing that's preventing you from experiencing the joy of oscillation. The missing link. The missing link. Send proof of your efforts in JPEG form or any other PNG form or bitmap, whatever. Send it to Steve or, or, and, uh, and, and then he will then I see, see that as proof that you are worthy of this... Um, Variable capacitor largesse, and then you too can experience the joy of oscillation. So I think we should do it that way. I'll try to get more information about this and put it up on the blog, including uh, Steve's email address or an email address that you could send this to. But stay tuned, because if you are kind of blocked by the absence of a, uh, of a variable capacitor, help is on the way, and we will, you know, you'll soon be experiencing the joy of, of oscillation. So uh, yeah, that's that's it. What else? What else we got to talk about, Pete? Uh, I, I I don't know. It's just lots of things happening. The future, uh, because yeah. it's the first one of the year. We should look ahead. What are we going to build? Yeah, yeah. What are you, What are you going to build, Bill? All right, I got a lot of projects. As I was riding around, I was I was thinking, and I I I've got all kinds of ideas here. Um, it's it's good to go away. It's good to go away around the beginning of the year because you come back with some some fresh perspectives and different ideas. So it's going to be a mixture of the old and the new here. I mentioned that, um, that phasing direct conversion receiver, and I want to build one. Um, it's, going to be, it's going to allow me to do a couple of different things. 
this IQ, the, the, the phase shift, the quadrature generation ability of the DDS systems combined with the circuitry designed by Rick Campbell in the R2 and the computer sound card, I want to build one of these um, SDR receivers, but I want to use it also to use it as a binaural receiver, you know, because if you take that, those two kind of quadrature outputs and feed them into the two different headphones in a stereo form, you can experience the binaural receiver experience where the, the CW kind of floats around inside. You get this kind of 3D perspective. Farhan once wrote that there are two kinds of radio amateurs, those who have listened to IQ and those who have not. So I want to move into the category of those who have experienced this kind of uh, earth-shaking uh, 3D CW and phone experience, but I also want to use it to go and, and, and put it into the uh, SDR mode and have a, I want to have a panoramic display of, of 17 meters. I think that would be fun. Let's see. My current project I told you about right now, this weekend, I'm going to fix the filter on one of my bare bones Superhet receivers. I, uh, I kind of modified it in an unthinking way a while back, and I just introduced a whole lot of ripple in the uh, in the passband that it sounds awful so now I'm going and doing it in a systematic way I'm gonna design then build yes and I'm using a lot of the, using a lot of the software um, that that Wes Hayward gave us the um, GPLA and the latter a uh, program uh, that, that came with experimental methods with RF design and I have the I have the, uh, the, the all the components here so this weekend I'm just gonna think about it I'm gonna think about the how I want this uh, filter to be shaped how broad I want it to be and I'm gonna gonna rebuild it and get that going I need a new antenna I'm just going through my list here real quick but I need a new antenna and I think I'm gonna do an open wire feeder doublet so I could use it on all different bands uh, I got some good space in the backyard I'm gonna get some open wire feeder I've already built the uh, the the tuner for it so this would give me kind of all band capacity I want to I want to put new Teflon pads on my telescope. That's not a ham radio project, but I need this thing to swivel more smoothly. So that's what we're going to do. And maybe, maybe as I said earlier, work on, on some, some portable gear. One other thing I wanted to mention. I did some, some couple new things for the new year. First, straight key night. I made three contacts. Proud of that. Used the HT37 and the Drake 2B. That was kind of fun. Um, and then I... I got on 15-meter sideband using my 17-meter Moxon. It works, kinda, sorta, ugly. But then I, I, I figured out how to use EasyNeck to kind of model what happens when you take a 17-meter Moxon and try to stuff 15-meter <laughs> RF into it, which was, it was a very illuminating thing in terms of learning how to use EasyNeck and then seeing it to, to figure out what would happen. But enough about my 2015, uh, Pete. What, what do you have on the horizon? Well, I got a couple of uh, transceiver projects in the making. And uh, one, I've, I've got a commitment to uh, finish up the uh, let's build something, uh, the second and third parts that deal with uh, converting that to transceiver. Uh, I got a, a few other transceiver ideas in here. But let, let me dovetail on your uh, phasing. Okay, so I, I had talked a little bit about this, emailed a little bit about this uh, to uh, Bob, NS7SUR, uh, who's, who's done a lot in, in, the, in the phasing arena. But why couldn't you um, have a down mix to uh, 10 kilohertz IQ channel and then uh, build filters that are operating at 10 kilohertz op amps so that you could have... Uh, a very narrow filter, which would give you CW, uh, a little wider filter for sideband, and a little wider op-amp filter for AM, and then put those into your um, uh, put those into your product detector as such, and then using the SI5351 generate uh, signals at 10 kilohertz because it'll go down all the way to 8 kilohertz, so you could generate upper and lower sideband in the product detectors with an SI5351. But you'd have no filter in that radio and you have the IQ channels. So it's kind of the best of all worlds. Essentially, you're using a phasing approach, but you're using 
a uh, kind of a, a single or double conversion. Depends how you look at it. But there, there's an opportunity to kind of take the SI5351 and apply it in that manner. So, I mean, when you think about the phasing receiver, how are you going to handle the bandwidth unless you, you're going to run that through a computer program? You're going to have to have some... Uh, and there's a difference of it's standalone versus you could run this into power SDR or something like that and, and do all the manipulation. But if you didn't do that, if you wanted a standalone receiver with variable bandwidths, it looks like you could do something with op amps. Oh, no, I think you could. You're right. But but one of the things I'm doing at here is one of, the, one of the, the advantages of using the direct conversion approach that I mentioned is that you, you end up with this really like 196 kc or 100 kc wide chunk of audio coming out of the receiver in iq you plug that into the stereo input of the sound card and then for selectivity it's that's where the 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 software does the filtering right that audio right so you're right. right your your approach should be much better for for standalone but yeah. one of the things that i really would like to have is the the, the panoramic yeah. display oh so, yeah. so there you go. I want, I, want, I want, you know, I like to be able to click on those signals and see where everybody is and everything else. So that's one of the well, things that I'm shooting for. Yeah. Well, then you need to get the 128 by 20, 128 TFT display. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> off the, you, uh, off the, the we, uh, big pardon. One of those little ones or one. Of yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. one. I got one of those. Yeah. 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 But it's the one. It's the color display. Yeah. Because then now you can create the waterfall and everything else, and you can do that all with the uh, with the Arduino. You're, you're so no computer. He, he's, he's pulling me. He's pulling me in ever deeper <laughs> into this digital morass. And you know, and I know that what's going to happen is, you know, a couple months from now, I'm going to be pulling my hair out because of some problem with the INI file or the Auto Exec Bat. <laughs> And I'm going to say, curse you, Pete Giuliano. Why wouldn't you let me? Why wouldn't you let me stay with my coils and capacitors and pieces of quartz? No, you had to go into this digital thing. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't. I have the idea, but I'm not sure I've got the skill set. I mean, there's people out there that listening to this say, "Oh yeah, I know how to do that." Uh, you know, half an hour in front of the computer and it's all done. I, I'm not sure. It would take me, you know, more than six or eight months to do something like that. But uh, I have to see what someone else did. You got to remember, this this humble thing is not going to cut it. We know what you're (laughs) capable of. You are the wizard of Newberry Park. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. uh, (laughs) And you're sitting there. I'm looking at the screen, and you've got a CNC machine behind you right there. Uh, You can do this. (laughs) Well, I'm going to work on it. (laughs) I'm going to work on it. And, and I think this has uh, some some interesting uh, approaches, especially for portable gear, that uh, you could essentially uh, have the you know the the direct conversion phasing approach, but without necessarily being tied to computer. Now, you're you're you do have one problem, and and you'd be limited to just a couple of bandwidths. Whereas using like Power SDR, you can pick any bandwidth you want. You know, it's got a it's got some canned bandwidth in there, or you can say variable, and, and you, you can make the filter bandwidth anything that you want. So, I mean, there's a lot more flexibility, but it's not something you can necessarily carry in the field, not, not something that's, you know, highly portable. So, anyway, just something, something to think about. All right, well, it's good that we have projects on the horizon for 2015. I think we're approaching the time limit here, if we have one. Yeah. But I think we're, it's, a, it's a good point to stop and um, wish all of our listeners... Unless you got anything else. The only thing I, I want to do is just repeat myself. Take a little time to noodle stuff <laughs> before you pick up the iron. Uh, and, you know, it's it, it's interesting to see some of the email traffic that uh, people will finally come around and say, you know, I should have really thought about this first. And e- even myself, I, 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 you know, I have this sense of, yeah, I know how to do that, man. And if I just took about 10 or 15 minutes to think about things, I mean, that's ha- having a process having a process to approach these things. And I, I think your term, design and build, is really important. And that, that, that achieves a higher rate of success uh, first time versus just tech soldering stuff together. I mean, I, I was thinking back to one of the comments you made about one of the pictures we saw that had the Michigan Mighty Might spread out all over the bench. It was frightening. <laughs> and the comp- <laughs> yeah, and the components were connected by two feet of wire. <laughs> you know, oh, you had a crystal over here, two feet away, you had something else. I say, oh, man, <laughs> I know why it doesn't work. Well, 
you would have thought about it. You say, you know, it's got to be a little closer. So yeah, it's got to be closer because there's a lot of things here with RF that people don't realize, and we pointed out. You know, all of those wires are adding additional elements of inductance and capacitance sure. to a circuit that really is all about inductance and capacitance and feedback. Yeah. Short so, direct leads. <laughs> yes, yeah. One thing I would say, a word of encouragement, anybody's out there struggling with the Michigan Mighty Might project who can't get it working, hang in there. Because yeah. this is a very tolerant circuit. I mean, we and we've had people now all over North America and Europe throw this thing together in in a wide variety of ways. There's nothing critical using a wide variety of components. And everybody who has stuck with it has been able to get it to oscillate. So it's it is really doable. And if yours is not oscillating with only seven components, you're already very close. So yeah. let us yeah. know. We'll 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 try to help you out. Take a look at the pictures on the blog. I got all kinds of stuff on the blog. You'll get all kinds of inspiration there. But uh, build those mighty mites. Right. Thrown together is a good operative word. <laughs> 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 well, anyway, seven threes from the left coast. It's uh, getting close to a little after seven. Time to get another cup of coffee, Bill. You have a great week. You too, Pete. Good talking to you. Thanks for getting up early to talk to us as always, and really appreciate all your your efforts and your. Amazing contributions here to the uh, to the radio arts. There you go. 7-3 from Northern Virginia. Bye-bye. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well... We have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!